Since the beginning of this year, we have been in a series of messages in the book of Mark, and we have made it through the first four chapters. We've just been sort of slowly meandering our way through, and you can sort of just figure out by doing the math that if we're four chapters in after this long, it's going to take us a while to make it through the whole book. Uh, But we're taking lots of breaks along the way. We're going to take a break in the fall uh, for a message series then, as well as for Advent, and then come back to it at the beginning of uh, next year. Uh, but we've sort of been making our way through the series slowly over the last number of months to try and just sort of see everything there is to see in the book of Mark. There's a couple different unique things that we have been experimenting with throughout our time in the book of Mark. And one is we've been having a time of open mic each Sunday where we give you space to hear, uh, to share rather, what God has been doing inside of your life and inside of your heart as you've been reading the book of Mark. We've provided these Mark Bible journals. There's still a whole bunch of these out at the connections table if you'd like to grab one. This is our gift to you. This is just a space for you to be able to... um, Read the text on one side of the page and then write down your own notes or prayers or thoughts or, you know, observations on the other side. And so we just want to give this to you as a resource to help uh, cultivate time uh, with Jesus in the book of Mark. But we've been uh, passing those out and we've been asking you to read the book of Mark and then sharing uh, what God is doing in your life. And I've heard from numerous people how meaningful it's been to them to just hear what God has been doing in other people as they've been reading the book of Mark. And so that's been just a really fruitful uh, experiment that we tried. Another thing that we've been doing that's a little bit unique is we have been having extended times of just reading the Bible. Um, if you grew up in a sort of traditional evangelical environment, long readings of the Bible are typically like not a part of just the normal life of the church, especially on a Sunday gathering. And so we've been saying, you know, let's, let's actually do that. And so we actually, back in the month of February, we read through the entire book of Mark in one sitting. It takes an hour and a half to do it, but it's so unique to just sit there and listen to it in one sitting. And it's just such a fruitful thing. And so we've been doing that. And then we've also, before we teach through a section, we take a Sunday morning. And then that Sunday morning's uh, sermon time portion is devoted to just reading the passage, uh, the next section of the book. And so that's what we'll be doing here this morning. If you have been around Elmwood for any length of time, you know that we care deeply about the Word of God, about the Bible being taught and explained. Uh, We believe that our spiritual formation and our understanding of the Bible, those things go hand in hand. Those things are like two sides of the same coin, whereas as we understand what the Bible says and as we come to see who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus, as, as we grow in our knowledge of what the Bible teaches, it doesn't shouldn't cause us to just accumulate more information, but that is how God changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us as he drives the message of the gospel deep down into our hearts. And so we love to have the Bible taught and explained, and we love to do that on a regular uh, basis each Sunday. And we also see significant value in simply listening to the word of God. Uh, You know, we, we sometimes forget that for most of the history of God's people, no one had a book that had like a lot of different um, Bible passages in it. <laughs> no one had a, you know, a Bible that had on a coffee table. You would have to go to a synagogue. You'd have to go to a place where they would have these giant scrolls and people would read from it. And so uh, we think there's so much value in simply just listening to and hearing God's word taught. And so that's, that's what we're going to um, do today. Uh, so we're going to read the next four chapters of the book of Mark this morning. So in January, we read verses, uh, chapters rather, 1 through 4, and today we're going to read chapters 5 through 8. 
And there's a couple different ways I want to encourage you to approach this this morning. Uh, For some of you, you may want to just sit there and listen. That is my uh, encouragement to you is just listen. Again, uh, most of the history of God's people, uh, for most of that, they had to go to a place and listen to someone else read it. They didn't have a copy of their own Bible or they were not even uh, literate in the first place. And so my encouragement is simply uh, just listen. Uh, but if you have to, if you say, you know, I would love to just listen, but I, uh, you know, what I need is to, see, is to see words on a page along with that, to have the sort of the, the auditory and the visual aspects of your mind engaged at the same time. If you have to do that, please feel free. Uh, if that would help you, if that would serve you, go ahead and do that. Uh, but those are a couple different ways that uh, I encourage you to sort of participate this morning. Uh, you can use the, uh, the Mark Bible Journal that you have. If you have that with you, you can follow along there. Or if you need to have the words on the page in front of you, you can use the Pew Bible. It's on page uh, 1529. Uh, but as we approach this this morning, as we come to simply read uh, these next four chapters of the book of Mark, what we're going to do is I'm going to leave two minutes of just silence. This is another one of those things that uh, a lot of us are maybe uncomfortable with because we just have never sat in silence for very long. And so if it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. Uh, It's supposed to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, But we want to do this so that we can just uh, sort of sit there and clear our minds and ask God, uh, will you help me see and understand Jesus today as I just listen to the Bible read? So I'm going to leave just two minutes. And then after that two minutes, we're going to just go ahead and read through those next four chapters of the book of Mark. So let's take two minutes of silence.
God, as we listen, we pray that you would cause your word to sink deep down into our hearts. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowning against you, his disciples answered, 
and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood and began to walk around. She was about 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out, two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. 
He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. 
He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachers' teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In this saying, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. 
deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Afatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. Even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. After the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, about 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? 
Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we don't have any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Then they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Here ends the reading. When Peter says to Jesus here that he is the Messiah, that is the first place in the book of Mark where a human correctly identifies who Jesus is. It takes half the book. Until that point, there's other, there's, there's demonic spirits and there's, there's demons that announce who Jesus is. But until this point, there's no human who actually correctly identifies Jesus' identity. And of course, it doesn't take long. If you know the story, it doesn't take long for Peter to then stick his foot directly into his mouth and say something really dumb. And this picture that we see here of discipleship in the book of Mark is, uh, follows this pattern. <laughs> That there are moments where people get it and people understand, and then they fail. And then there's moments where they get it and they understand, and then they fail again. And it's this back and forth and this up and down picture of uh, what it means to follow Jesus. And that's exactly what we see with Jesus' disciples. They are with Jesus for three years in the process of experientially learning who he is and what he came to do. And who they are as a result of that. And what it means to follow this man Jesus. What it means to be his apprentice or his follower, his disciple. 
And this picture that we see of discipleship is uh, their journey looks uh, just like ours, where we get it and then we fail. And we can name all of the right doctrines and we can ascribe to all of the right beliefs. And yet so often our lives don't match up with what we know to be true about who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so this is a part of the picture of discipleship that we see here in the book of Mark. And the good news is that our identity is not found in our ability to measure up. It's not found in our ability to, uh, it's not found in our, our, our spiritual accomplishments or achievements. Our identity and our acceptance before God are rooted entirely in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Jesus gave his life in place of ours so that we could be grafted once again back into the family of God so that we could experience life together in God's presence. And he gave that to us as a free gift. And so as we come to the communion table today, as we do each week, we get to remember and we get to celebrate and we get to accept that gift that God has given us once again. As we come forward and receive the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, we get to once again stake our lives on this man, Jesus. And once again, affirm our commitment to him as the cross, as the the elements of communion show us God's commitment to us. And so we get to remember and celebrate uh, what God has done for us in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you uh, as we come to the communion table, just to take a few moments of quiet time for confession and reflection. And then we will come uh, to the table this morning. So take a few moments of silent confession and reflection.